Malcolm Holmline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations and ironically is now in Jerusalem himself and joins us for the weekly update. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thanks, and uh, I guess you can be welcome back. <laughs> a little late, but back. I'll tell you. Good to talk to you. It's crazy. We wanted to make sure to get back to at least get part of this segment on and uh, speak about this incredible journey you've been on, which is now in the Holy Land. Start from the beginning with us. And I don't mind if this takes up most of the weekly update, frankly, because it's so important and so vital, as you've described in the past. Start where the conference delegation began, and then we'll continue from there. Well, as you know, I was here last week. Uh, I was in Israel, but the delegation um, met in Turkey on Sunday evening, Monday morning. We began uh, our adventure, and I must say that it you know, I, we do it every year before our uh, annual m- leadership mission in Israel. We go to another country of significance. This year we went to two countries after extensive consultation about where we could really make a difference, how, where we could help both the local Jewish communities, fostering ties to the United States and Israel, and dealing with some of the, and getting insights into the current issues. And the two places we went couldn't have been more insightful, more appropriate, more exhausting, uh, because we were Monday in Istanbul, Tuesday we were in, uh, mostly spending the time in Istanbul with the Jewish community, the American ambassador, other officials. On Tuesday we went to Ankara, the capital, where we had a meeting, an extensive meeting, about an hour and a half with President Erdogan and then with Prime Minister Dovokululu, uh, and uh, came back very late at night in time, literally just to pack our bags and switched to a flight to Cairo, where we spent the, the first day in, um, in, with extensive consultations and briefings uh, with uh, mostly intelligence and other and related areas. And then we went, uh, the second day we met with President Sisi for two hours, uh, one of the most impressive and, and significant exchanges in, in a long time, both actually were of it got immense coverage, and not because we put it out, but because both leaders put out pictures with of the meetings. Now, the Muslim Brotherhood obviously is already reacting to it negatively. Yeah, boy. But the uh, the substance of these talks was really remarkable, and the changes in the region that you and I talk about each week uh, have uh, had such a significant impact, a broader impact than we normally imagine, and perhaps driving to fundamental changes and shifts. Uh, President Erdogan, whom we've not met with several for several years because of the positions he took, the Mabi Mamara incident, some of the other things, his, his uh, attitude to his public statements about Israel. Um, so this was the first time in many years, and I have to say that uh, it was a positive in, uh, presentation on his part. He outlined concerns, the issues, we responded directly and strongly to it. He, we engaged in a lengthy uh, dialogue about uh, significant issues. We got some commitments. He laid out what he sees as some of the, the um, uh, uh, an eight-point plan for resuming relations with Israel, basically about services to Gaza. Um, but there was an openness, and, 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 in, and he indicated that he hopes the talks will lead to, to the better relations and resumption of the, the ties. Uh, we you obviously know, had uh, issues over which there were differences, but also some significant 
discussion on humanitarian issues, which we are very hopeful about. Now, th- this is, uh, you know, again, for those who've been following not just us, but the news in general over the last five years, th- this is, it's baffling. It's it, it, the fact that the meeting was even scheduled and what sounds like enthusiastically approached by both sides. You know, the, the Erdogan Israel or Erdogan Jewish um, component has been very difficult to to understand over the last few years. Absolutely right. And you made an important distinction, which he does also. He says, you know, that the criticism of Israeli policies is not a criticism of Jews. And went on to cite about the Hanukkah lighting. You know, they did a public menorah lighting in Istanbul. And although he didn't attend, he did talk about going to the synagogue in Istanbul to be an aide, a witness at a Jewish wedding there, which had to do more with some local interplay, but uh, but on a very friendly basis. And the Jewish community there, uh, again, that's always a primary uh, agenda item for us, is to show solidarity and support. And we had lengthy discussions with them about their situation, but they attended the meeting with us, and it was very sanitary, and, and uh, the comments about the ties to the Jewish community and reaffirming and about fighting anti-Semitism, and he talked about it as a, um, as a war crime, anti-Semitism and Islamophobia. He, this is President Erdogan. Uh, so while, again, we have differences, and uh, the, the fact that you have the Russians in the region, the Iranians post-deal, the flood, flood of Im- immigrants, you know, and refugees, as they're called, the uh, the situation in Syria, the Iran, Saudi Arabia standoff, and many other things all are playing out now in very interesting ways that create new opportunities for Israel. And Israel is seen in a different way, certainly in Egypt, where we couldn't have heard a more positive presentation for an hour where President Sisi put aside his prepared remarks and just spoke. <laughs> it was incredible. And in both cases, They've never done big meetings like this. We brought 35 people with us. And in both cases, in the end, after telling us that, that it's very hard to get a meeting with the presidents, and he doesn't do it, both of them don't do it very often, and certainly not with a big group. They'll take two, they'll take four. Wanted them sent a message by receiving the whole group and, and treating us and dealing with us at, at a level uh, like a presidential meeting. I said not all the ministers, 19 of them there in Turkey. And, in uh, Egypt, the same with uh, all of the trappings, but that's not what is significant. It was the substance that you rarely see in the case, in, in these exchanges. All right, so not to be too cynical and understanding that the you know that the, that the political picture, the political spectrum, is always key to all of this. If one were to ask you frankly, why is the answer? that they simply need Israel, that Turkey and Egypt are just two of the countries that know down the road they're going to have to have some type of cordial or better relationship with Israel in order to survive the future of the Middle East? So I think the answer is a, a, a multi-parted one. One is that it's, it's their relations with the United States are strained in most cases, or they feel the United States is disengaging and see us as people who play a key role in the United States. So that, I think, is one of the key factors is the, and, and the U.S. role. Second is um, that they see Israel as important, that Israel is a source of stability in the region and playing a key role because they all face the war and terrorism. 
and Israel has a lot to offer, and, and the borders are becoming less and less significant in terms of the, the cross-border uh, involvement of terrorist uh, organizations. But I think you also, uh, in the question implicit, uh, are some other factors which are important in, in determining whether there is a shift. Nobody knows what tomorrow brings. Everything can change in the blink of an eye in this region, as generally in, in politics, but... You know, there can be a coup, there can be, uh, um, you know, overthrows, there can be revolutions, there, the a volcano here, everybody that does is just going to continue. Uh, the, the Turks are fighting the PKK and, and equate them with Daesh. The, uh, Egyptians are fighting Hamas and, uh, compare them to ISIS and ISIS active in Sinai also. So they, they're involved in the fight. Second, I think that Israel's coalescence with, uh, Greece and Cyprus and as you know, we were there just a few weeks ago, and then there was a three-way summit, and the cooperation, this Mediterranean focus, is something others want in. The Egyptians told us that they not only look forward to being part of it, he said, we are part of it, we are partners in it. And I think that, that Erdogan looks at that and says, hey, there's going to be big energy flow, there are a lot of opportunities, you know, Israel's uh, hopefully going to be an exporter very soon. So this is, uh, these are all uh, factors that, play into it, and they're looking at their own interests about uh, what it is that, um, you know, what each of them can contribute, what each of them benefits uh, from it. It is, un- the, you, you, yeah. you must have been sitting there, in, in a way, just not believing what was going on, that we've gotten to this point where uh, these countries are willing to negotiate, talk, you know, speak about the future that they could have in a Middle East where they recognize that Israel is going to be a major part of it. And that is part of the the uh, thing is the, the recognition of the permanence of Israel. Right. I think that, that they have come or are coming to terms with it. But more than that, in the case of Egypt, the way they describe the cooperation and, and the way we've heard it from Israeli leaders also and even the personal level where where, you know, those engaged in, let's say, intelligence and security areas, know the nicknames of every Israeli general and official. Many, many of our people did not know who they were referring to, and they, you know, would refer to them by their uh, nicknames. Uh, so the level of intimacy and cooperation is certainly uh, a remarkable thing, and something, you know, as much as we read about it, you don't see it until you experience it. And and he put forward his country's interests, uh, President Sisi. He was talking right. about. Egypt's needs, Egypt's uh, the demands that well, they want to see tourism, and they know that we can. Um, they want to see the United States more engaged here and, and helpful to them, and we certainly will want to see that as well because it's it's Egypt is still the most important Arab country. Did the issue of the yeah. tunnels, uh, uh, the tunnels, hundred uh, percent? It came absolutely. It yes, came up both, huh? in both meetings as more there, and- Turkey. I was going to say, as just to remind the audience, as more and more are being discovered, and more and more very sophisticated ones are being discovered. That is right, and the Egyptians, as you know, have taken really dramatic action in flooding them, closing them. Uh, there are increasing the cases of the tunnels collapsing. There were another two people killed in, in this week in the collapse of the tunnel. That's eleven just in the, in the recent weeks, which means that they are very active. The Israelis are quickly responding to every report of drilling sounds and have not yet found evidence of uh, actual tunnels in those places. But clearly, 
No, and, and you know, the United States and Israel are undertaking joint research, each one putting up half the money to, to detect tunnels, which will benefit the United States on our Mexican border or other places. And for Israel, is really vital because we know what the intent is. And unfortunately, I have exchanges with President uh, Erdogan. You know, he, he talked about the, it, it, the Gaza as being locked, the people are being locked in, et cetera, et cetera, and that the tunnels are an expression of that. And I explained to him, no, the tunnels are not tunnels for trade. You could say that, let's say, about the tunnels to Egypt because they were smuggling and, and doing illegal things through it, but bringing in food goods. I said the tunnels to Israel have no commercial purpose. They're tunnels for terror, mm-hmm. not tunnels for trade. Yep. And that the, the, there's no justification uh, for them. Their only purpose is to carry out terror attacks, to kidnap soldiers, to kill people. You so meant- the tunnels figured very centrally in a lot of the discussions and and terrorism generally. You mentioned earlier the Muslim Brotherhood, and I, I assume you meant this directly. If not, then it could be assumed that they were that they were likely or were in fact against these meetings. They were uh, you know, they, they expressed their uh, uh, negative feelings about these meetings. Anybody else? Uh, any uh, I don't know any UN representatives? Anybody from the United States? Anybody from Middle Eastern countries that you would have or would not have expected that reacted a certain way to these get-togethers that you had in Turkey and Egypt? Well, before we go, we always consult with uh, the American government. We talk about what the issues are. We talk about how we can be most productive. We talk to Israelis. We talk to other leaders in, to assess how we can make the biggest difference in in the, the meetings that we take. Because, you know, it's a big undertaking. It's a lot of work. And uh, we don't want to do it if it's not going to be productive. And so American officials uh, were aware and the American ambassadors in both countries uh, were very receptive, reached out, um, and we were we were in discussion with them before the trip and then uh, met during the trip. Uh, the American ambassador in uh, Ankara hosted us at his home, and um, uh, so the, the support for the mission and, and, you know, public diplomacy, citizen involvement is valued. It does, it often can facilitate things that on a diplomatic level, when, when on a political level, can't be done because they have to stake their positions and they're focusing on, you know, what will the reaction in their media be. These meetings are close to the press. We talk seriously. And it was only they who, who released both the pictures and the information about the meetings that we went public and discussed it. All right, understood. Malcolm Holmline with us from Israel, shortened, diver- shortened version rather of the weekly update. We have a couple of minutes left. Um, well, as you know, we were in Israel this week, Jewish Unity Initiative. Uh, we're reading in the newspapers now, or I should say online, and many of the, from many of the news sources, that um, uh, the, the terror attacks are going back to the same level, not that we expect it to be at any level or want it to be at any level, but pre-escalation levels from a few months ago. I, I have to say, you know, when we spend time in a lot of different areas, I have to say that it, it is amazing, and I'm sure you feel the same way being there, that... Uh, the attention that's paid to all these random attacks, and I'm not minimizing them and minimizing the suffering of the Jewish people and of the specific families, uh, but it, 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 we, we, we just don't see. We just don't see over here the 99% of everything else, the daily life going on, the attitude of Israelis toward, uh, you know, to, toward what is happening, toward what the present and future has to bring. I mean, I'm sure you know what I mean. It's just such a different experience when you're there and you can bring this message back here. And, and it is because, and, and true in every instance of terrorism, because the media is only focused on that corner where that bombing took place or that building. And it 
it makes it seem like that is the total story rather than here being there when you see that it, in its context, in its proportion, as terrible as it is and unacceptable as it is, but at least it is, it is in a perspective that has some proportionality to reality. As you said, you walk around in, in Yerushalayim, people are not afraid, people are going about their business. In Turkey, tourism has been decimated when 48 million Russians haven't come. You know, and this has, as we've talked often in the context of Israel, when tourism is hurt, it has psychological impact, it has economic impact, it has secondary and tertiary for those who supply, those who make the goods for the hotels, for the tourism industry. Yeah. And, of course, the, the financial is, is very serious, so, uh, and the sense of isolation that it brings with it. So no. tourism is a motivator that, that people are looking to Israelis to come, they, the Turks, to, to have the Israelis come back to Turkey and to uh, help fill the void of, of the, the massive numbers of Russians that have stopped coming and have switched to Greece and other countries, also true of some of the Europeans. So th- that is a critical factor. And here it's important for people to know that while these incidents take place, Life is normal. There, there, there are no changes that have taken place here. People are walking around, going now, preparing for Shabbos, doing what they have to do. They, they are alert. They should be alert. They should be aware of their surroundings, but so should we be in New York. And I saw that there was another incident in New York, uh, unfortunately, with, with somebody being hit and, and uh, appears to be a biased attack. Um, it, it, everywhere, Jews have to be alert and aware and and uh, take the necessary precautions. Yeah. But one yeah. of them is not to avoid coming to Israel. Yeah. It's yeah. imperative. It's more important now than ever. And the hotels are being hurt. And with a lot of new hotels going up, when people will want to come, and then they'll say to the hotel rooms, it's because you didn't come when at times like this, when you have to show support and you have to show them that we care and show the people of Israel that we'll be there. Yeah, no question about it. We had uh, the mayor of Yerushalayim on yesterday, and he was uh, <laughs> he was quoting statistics about how more likely one is to be attacked, God forbid, in New York than in Israel, and how Israel is the second or third. I don't remember the exact statistic. Uh, you know, major Western cities in terms of safety. I mean, I believe me, I know that you know that that people are apprehensive, and and certainly the media doesn't help in the way it's reported. But uh, this has been one of our. Uh, you know, one of our mantras over the last few days that uh, people have got to get to Israel as often as possible, as soon as possible, and really uh, do our part uh, for the Israeli economy. It's so vital, and there's so many components to it that are assisted once visitors start coming in in droves. And we might add, and we might add, and I'm sure you've seen this already today, where you are at the Inbal Hotel, unless things have drastically changed in the last 24 hours, Non-Jewish groups are coming to Jerusalem and are coming to Israel in some really nice numbers. And unfortunately, as we mentioned yesterday on the air, sometimes we hear of Jewish groups that are either canceling their trips or, you know, unfortunately because of a lack of numbers, have no choice but to do so. And, and look, I understand why people can be concerned, but it's not justified by the situation on the ground. I think, uh, you know, the, the, you're tested when times are tough. It's, it's very easy to go when everything is fine. And the weather here is going to be gorgeous. It's going to be 70 degrees this week. It's better than Miami. It's better than any other place they can go to. There's so much to do, so much to see, so many new things, and so much going on here that for people to, to shy away, and now the, I know the air rates are cheaper, hotels are cheaper, uh, it's an opportunity to have a great time and, and do so much good 
when you walk into stores and you see that the, some of them have the businesses down 50%. Yeah. So it's really imperative that uh, people think about it. Come even just for a few days and show your support. All right, we have two minutes to go. The group this coming week, over the next few days, how will the conference group spend their time? Okay, so now we're going to be augmented by another 70 people, so we'll be over 100, which is the largest group we've had. And we are going to start Sunday. We have many ministers of the government, uh, Shaked, Yalom, uh, the leader of opposition, Boji Herzog, uh, Yair Lapid, um, and, of course, Prime Minister Netanyahu is going to be giving the opening dinner address and President Rivlin later in the week. But we also have key experts, and we're going to be visiting the borders to see firsthand what is going on. We have uh, briefings by the top leaders of the IDF. We have uh, such a wide array of, of people because of the array of challenges from the BDS issues to Iran to um, uh, dealing with anti-Semitism and its manifestations. These are all things that we're going to be dealing with in depth, and we're going to be examining uh, with the people who can make a difference about them, and in often cases having various points of view on the same panel to, to be able to discuss the issues and hear the countervailing arguments about particular policies or, or direction. Sounds like an exciting week, to say the least. All right, before I let you go, uh, a comment about uh, what happened this week in New Hampshire as we see a... Uh a member of the Jewish faith take a um, a significant primary uh, in the uh, 2016 election. What are your thoughts? Look, I think as as I've said along, it's uh, this is a whirlwind year. I think the only thing that's predictable is nothing has been predictable, and there will be a lot of change. I think we have to look at South Carolina, but again, to keep people focused also on the congressional races, the Senate races that are going to be happening this year. People, somebody asked me this morning, when, when are the next senatorial races? <laughs> I said, it, it happens this year. And so congressional races and Congress is, is very important to us, you know, who gets elected, who's there in terms of uh, a formulation of policy and influencing it as, of course, is who occupies the White House. But we're going to, the, the, so far the Jewish communities haven't figured in, in large numbers, either in New Hampshire or Iowa and not so much in South Carolina, but in other places they will. And uh, I think you will see more discussion of some of the foreign policy issues uh, that has been uh, lacking until now. And, uh, you know, we don't know what way it could go. And either one could run the table and end up being a candidate or lead to a brokered convention or to a split in the third-party candidacy this year. Though that they haven't succeeded in the past, is always the first time when they will. Right. Well, but on the Bernie Sanders issue, the message of you could, uh, you could be anything in this country seems to become more clearer this week. Yeah, bathing beauty and and, um, and all of the other attributes that go to uh, presidential candidates these days. Uh, but I, I hope that we can really see the um, uh, focus not on beauty contests between candidates, but on substance and, and not on who can out shout and uh, but really discussing issues. Who who is going to be able to give uh, give leadership, which you see in this region how important it is, and they followed the election with great. Closeness certainly you saw in Israel. They they know everything about it. They monitor it all, even if it means staying up at night, to, in the middle of the night, to watch the debates. Yeah, and perhaps more than many in our own country do. And and for them, what America does and who will lead America is seen as vital. It was true in Egypt. It was true in Turkey. And they asked us extensive questions about it. It's really on people's mind. I think it's a still a statement about the importance of the United States. 
what direction the United States will take, how, what role they will play. Will they be more interventionist, more actively engaged? Uh, there was criticism about the United States not taking on a role in Syria when they should have early on, and that uh, having uh, extracted a price on what they will do now. America is important, and American Jews are important. So the audience who's listening to you, Jews and non-Jews alike, have to be involved, have to make their voices heard. We have to speak up for Israel. We have the opportunities, and as we saw in this trip, that things that were not thinkable a year or two ago are now real prospects. Malcolm, enjoy Shabbat in Yerushalayim. We'll reconvene, please God, next week. Malcolm Holine is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us for the weekly update.